But we're going to be in Acts 16. We're going to maybe finish it off tonight. We're going to pick up in verse 6, just kind of a short summary of where we left off. And one thing that I want to mention before we get going is something that I shared um, Tuesday morning with the seniors. But something that I think um, is, is important as we look at the book of Acts, you know, we, we look at, you know, we, I mean, I love this book. Just looking at the church, the development of the church, um, the men and women that God used um, to further the gospel. And it's, there's a characteristic that seems to have been prevalent in the late 60s, early 70s, when the Jesus movement had taken effect. And what that was, and I think really we need it today, <clears throat> excuse me, is conviction. You know, it seemed back then that people were getting saved and they were going home and reading their Bibles to see how they ought to act and live as Christians. There was this conviction in their hearts. And, you know, they went home and they, um, you know, husbands were reading about what God called them to, to, you know, to be as a husband and wives. And, you know, people were looking for God's will and just, you know, looking for um, just some direction, some guidance in how to live their life now that they're Christians. And they were convicted about that. And looking through the book of Acts for me has really been like that looking at these men and women who were just convicted. You know, they got saved, God called them, and, you know, they just wanted to be faithful to um, the person that God called them to be and what God had called them to do. And I pray as we go through this that you see this and you have been seeing it. God taking ordinary folks just like us, and I know I, I say that every time I get an opportunity, but it's so true. You know, I still look at Paul and Silas and, you know, in awe of their, um, you know, just their willingness to do whatever it takes to accomplish God's purpose, you know, and, you know, I want to be that way. So we're going to look at some of that tonight, but I just want to, uh, I want to challenge you. Um, look into, you know, and Pastor Rob, it kind of hit a little bit on it this morning about, you know, letting God clear out the temple in a sense. Let him, you know, let him have his way in your life and to clear things out of it. So um, that conviction, and, you know, it's just amazing how um, these guys had it. But let's read verses uh, 6 through 8 in uh, chapter 16. And uh, just to give you a little bit of where we're at, um, the Jerusalem Council had ended. Paul went back to um, Antioch. Um, with Silas and Barnabas and Judas. And uh, they hung out there for a while. They decided to go back out and see how the churches they planted were doing. You know, there was a little bit of a dispute between Paul and Barnabas about Mark. So Paul and Silas go back to those churches that they already started, and Barnabas and uh, Mark went to Cyprus. So They've just left Lystra and Iconium in that area, and now they're kind of headed into uncharted territory where they hadn't been on the first missionary journey. So it says in verse 6, When they had gone through 
Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mysa, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysa, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over here to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So it's kind of interesting to see what happens here. You know, the Lord closes off the ability for them to go to the south and go to the north. And their course, they, they stay the course, they're actually going kind of northwest now. And they're headed towards Troas. You know, I, I want you guys to think for a minute, you know, what it was like for, for Paul and Silas and Timothy. You know, they're, they're traveling and... You know, I, I have to believe in my heart that they're praying, they're, you, know, they're, you know, they're walking, they're seeking the Lord, and, you know, God is closing this door, and he's closing that door, and, you know, you think, it doesn't tell us, it just says the Spirit forbade them from going. Well, how did they know that the Spirit forbade them from going? And something that I, um, I want to kind of highlight a little bit when we started out here, is to think of that they had cultivated. Paul has been saved like 14 years now. And um, he's, he's cultivated this relationship with the Lord. Um, this isn't something that just happened. You know, and, and I want to encourage you guys to, along with allowing the Lord to clean out and, um, you know, clean the temple in a sense, if you will. But do what it takes to cultivate a relationship with the Lord to where you really, you, you grow in your sensitivity to God's leading. You know, Paul, this, Paul just didn't wake up and, and have this. I mean, when he got saved, obviously, just like us, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But I really believe, um, even like an athlete, there's a lot of athletic references in the Bible. Um, athletes work to get their body in shape, you know, to do whatever sport they're doing. And as a believer, we don't, we don't work to get saved, but there's things that we need to do to cultivate that sensitivity to what God is doing and how God speaks to us. And, um, you know, of course, it's, it's understanding the Bible, the Word of God. It's His will. You know, God is never going to ask you to do anything that's outside of His will. I mean, we know that, right? So cultivating, and think, here's Paul, what did, if you want to, if you want to see how he did it, okay, it's interesting to see what Paul did. Um, you don't have to turn there, I'll, I'll, I'll read the verses for you, but in Galatians chapter 1, in verses 11 and 12, and then 15 through 17, it, it kind of gives you an idea of what, some of the things that Paul did to cultivate this, um, the sensitivity so it says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, But I made known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, 
nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then drop down to verse 15, and then it says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He went to the, out into the desert for just about three years. And, you know, Jesus discipled him. Now, obviously, um, you know, I'm not saying that you guys have to go find a desert and don't come back for a while. But you know what? Um, there's got to be a place, home someplace, you know, a place where you can get alone and just spend time with the Lord. You know, and, and not, sometimes, sometimes I do this, and this, this is something that, for me, it really works. I just get alone. I put on worship music. I don't even open the Bible. I just sit there quietly and just worship the Lord and, and just pray a little bit. And just, just sit in God's presence. You know, and um, it's, it really, I, I don't know, it just kind of rejuvenates me. I just feel so close to the Lord. And the, what I'm trying to encourage you guys to do is, is to make that time. Make that time to get in the Word, to get alone with the Lord, and let Him speak to you. And I really believe that that's how Paul and Silas and, you know, these folks that we read about, you know, they, they, they were alone with God. They, they knew the importance of that quiet time with the Lord, just being away from the noise, being away from the day, um, and just getting alone and hearing from God, cultivating that relationship. So important, and I really, um, I really believe that that was a part of. And well, we know for sure it was a part of Jesus' life, right? He was always getting away to pray, right? And and what, if he needed to do it, we certainly do. And you know what? And we'll move on. If you if you want if you want a, these kind of experiences in your life, like we read the Book of Acts and we say, Lord, you know, I mean, I would, man, that is awesome. Well, you know what? It's available for us as well, but we got to do the work. We got to get on our knees. We got to get alone with the Lord. We got to get into the Word. And after that's all said and done, we got to become doers of the Word and not a hearer only. You know, we got to be willing to do it. We got to be willing to do it. So, verses 9 and 10. Let me find 9 and 10. And it says, And in a vision um, appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel in Macedonia. So a vision. You know, you, it depends on how many resources you look at, there's a lot of different thoughts about visions. Um, the Greek word is hora, horama, 
and it, something that, that is gazed at, a spectacle, a sight, um, a vision. Uh, visions are experiences similar to uh, dreams or a trance through which supernatural insight or awareness is given by revelation. Okay? The purpose of a vision was to give guidance and direction to God's servants and also to foretell the future. And then we can see here, obviously, that this vision, and, and you have to think about it, and this is really where I, I, I really believe that um, kind of encouraged me with, with Paul and Silas and Timothy and whoever else was with them. They, they can't go north, they can't go south, so they're staying the course. Now they can't go anywhere because they're at Troas and the Aegean Sea is right there. So now they, they can't go anywhere. So I believe that they didn't get bugged out and say, oh, what are we going to do now kind of thing. I think when they got to Troas, they got settled in, and they just sought the Lord. And uh, that night, Paul has a vision. You know, and it's just so obvious that God is just guiding their steps. And how is he doing it? Hey, they're, they're, just, they're, just, they're just walking out, stepping out in faith in what God had called them to do to go back and, and see how these churches were doing. And he continues right on to Troas. So important. Um, you, know, God is, you know, God is always going to be there. God is always going to be faithful to give us the next step when we take the first step that he gives us. And he told him, you can't go this way, you can't go that way. And, and thinking how, I don't know if they thought this way, but I would, I would be saying, but Lord, Ephesus, it's such a huge town. I mean, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of unsaved people there or into, you know, into Galatia. You know, logically, there would have been a lot of reasons to, you know, to question God. But in Paul's mind, I really believe that in his mind and in his heart, he's saying, you know what? Um, you know, we're going to stay the course. God, that's God's responsibility. Those other areas, God will take care of that. And he did, right? Peter wrote a letter to the folks up in the north. And eventually on the way back on this missionary journey, they did end up in Ephesus. You know, it's trusting to just, just do what God puts in front of us and be faithful to do that and leave the rest of it up to him because he's going he's gonna, to, all of that is going to happen in his timing. And I just appreciate that about these guys. Nobody's trying to kick down doors. Nobody's trying to force God's hand or his will. They're just going with the flow. And what is the flow? The flow is that they've gotten to the point in their walk with the Lord that they're, they're very sensitive to the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, that's, man, that is just so awesome. That is so awesome. To, I mean, that's what, that's what we should be striving for. That's what we should be striving for. Not to know what, what's happening with current events or what's going on with this party and that party. Hey, you know, God will take care of all of that, too. You know, we need, the focus for us is to, to work on our relationship with the Lord and be available. To be available. Did I tell you guys I have a solution, a, mat a mathematical solution to solve all of the problems in this country? I, there, here it is, right? And, you know, coming from a guy who went to Jefferson High School, this is really some amazing math, all right? 
we're so concerned about the politics of today and what are we going to do, how are we going to do this, what are we going to do. But think about it this way. If there were 10 million Christians in the United States, and I think there must be more, right? I don't know what the number is. But if there were 10 million and each one of those Christians led one person to the Lord a week, I know that's kind of pushing it, but if you do the math, really within a year, everybody in this country would be saved. Okay, I mean, so when you think about, I mean, we're worried about all this other stuff. I say focus on the mandate that Jesus gave us to go into the world and preach the gospel. Be faithful to, to share the gospel, to be a light, to, to, to live out your faith. And, you know, that's how... That's how people change. That's how communities change. That's how the church is called to change the world. You know, and, and I'm not anti-getting plugged into local politics if you feel God's calling you to do that. But I know for sure God's called us to be a witness, to be a light, to evangelism. You know, that we, and, and what, just go through the book of Acts and look for it. That's how the church changed and radically changed the communities they lived in. People got saved and they changed. They they changed the whole um, landscape of certain cities. So all right, so that's a just a freebie on me. You know, my mathematical equation to the problems. Because you know, just think: the more Christians there are in this country, um, the less of this crazy stuff they're going to be able to sell to people because people are just going to say, "No way! It doesn't line up with the Word of God." So we got to be a voice. So visions. There is um, this vision in in uh, verse nine is the second of six visions received by Paul in the book of Acts. And if you look through the book of Acts, and obviously throughout the whole Bible, um, you know there's different occasions for visions. I'm going to just give you a few from the book of Acts, just the references. Um, Acts nine three through six, Paul you know, on the road to Damascus. Um, Acts 9, verse 10, Ananias gets a vision, right? Go go to the street straight and minister to Paul or Saul at that time. You know, and Ananias has a, a little bit of difficulty with that at first. Um, Acts chapter 10, verse 3, Cornelius has a, a vision, right, to go find, Paul, go find Peter, right? God used that vision to, to get his attention, and then Peter, towards the middle of the chapter, Acts 10, and then in Acts 11, Peter, it talks about Peter was in a trance and saw a vision. So there's a, a little combination there. But, you know, Paul, um, is, Paul had multiple visions, and, it, you know, it's throughout the Word, and God does use them. So Paul gets clear, gets clear direction from this vision from the man from Macedonia asking them to come over and help us, right? Come to Macedonia and help us. So how could Paul help those in Macedonia, right? He's going to bring them the gospel, right? That's, you know, there's a lot of good things out there to help people, but the reality is the help that everybody needs is the gospel. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that simple, you know, and I'm, 
I'm not against any of the programs that are out there to help people get an education, uh, to get food, to, to have a place to live. You know, all of that is good. But, um, you know, the help that we all need is Christ, the gospel. You know, so important. So that's what, you know, Paul's going to do. And, you know, it's interesting. He's been going from city to city. Now he's going to go to a different continent. He's in Asia. He's going to go to Europe. I think, you know, he's walking. And I have to maybe keep saying that. He's walking. Get the, I mean, you get the, like, the, you know, like the heart of this. Man, these guys are committed. They're walking. I haven't, I sometimes I have trouble walking from here to my truck or something. You know, they're going from one continent to another. You know, it was 400 miles from this, part of this trip to Troas was 400 miles walking. I mean, these guys were sold out. These guys were sold out. And I know that it sounds weird, but even thinking that these guys would, do, would just walk. And it isn't like they're walking down lit streets and, you know, there's police driving by to make sure they're safe. You know, these, I mean, these guys put their life on the line just to get from city to city. When you talk about totally putting your life in God's hands, these guys, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Just really, I just appreciate these guys so much. I just appreciate the Lord, what he's doing in them. So Lydia comes on the scene. So let's read verses 11. Let's read through to verse 15. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of, of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customly made, customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So they, Paul has the vision. The next day, they got, hop on a boat. They start going across the Aegean Sea. Uh, Samothrace is a little island. It seems as though they stopped there for the night, finished off the next day into Neapolis, which is a port, and then they they uh, ended up in Philippi. And, you know, Philippi, just a little background about that. Uh, it's named after the father of Alexander the Great. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony loyal to the empire. Um, the city itself was organized by the state of Rome, and functioned as a military outpost. And because of its position, it was really um, a, a prominent seaport um, because it was right near, uh, right next to Neapolis and uh, was on the major roads to Europe. So it was really a good commercial place, uh, like a hub of commercial um, you know, trade, travel, and um, really an ideal place to share the gospel because of all that interaction and that commerce going by. 
So it says on the Sabbath day in verse 13 that they went out to the city, um, to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to a woman who met there. So what's happening here is that in Philippi there weren't enough male households to to have a synagogue. They had to have 10 male households to, um, to, so they could ha- open a synagogue. So they didn't have that. So what they did is they would go uh, someplace where in the open air, uh, preferably uh, near water, and uh, they would have prayer meetings there. So I'm thinking that Paul and Silas and these guys, when they got to Philippi, they realized that there was no um, synagogue there, because that's where they would go first, right? That was the custom for Paul. So knowing that, he knew that someplace had to be a prayer meeting because that was the next thing, that was the next normal thing that would happen. So it says on the Sabbath that they went out, out of the city to the riverside where they found the prayer meeting and they spoke to some women there. And that's where they meet Lydia. And she's a seller of purple. And to, to be a, um, into that kind of um, a business, and, from, you know, and this is just for me reading, you know, reading it out of a book, but to make purple dye, they had to extract the dye from a certain shellfish, I guess, right? So it, it really was a tedious thing, and it, and it really, uh, you really needed the finances to do it, but it paid off really well. So um, Lydia was, um, was pretty well off. Um, she had a lucrative business because um, because of the expense of the dye, um, the clothing was expensive. So, you know, so she was um, pretty successful in what she, in, in her business. And it says that when um, she and her house, she, she was, um, she worshiped God. So she was a God-fearer. Uh, the Lord opened her heart to hear the things spoken by Paul. So apparently um, she gives her heart to the Lord, she gets baptized, and they ended up um, spending time with her. So it's interesting that Paul preached the gospel, but the Lord um, opened Lydia's heart to, hear, to receive the word. And, you know, that's our, um, you know, our responsibility is to preach the word. You know, the Holy Spirit brings the conviction. The Holy Spirit is the one who softens hearts and draws people. So we just need to be faithful to share the word of God and just leave the rest up to the Lord. I know a lot of times we feel funny sharing or we feel like we're going to be rejected. You know, there's a, we have a lot of reasons why we don't sometimes. Uh, but the reality is, um, you know, they're not rejecting you. If, you know, they're rejecting the Lord. And we're, um, we're going to be going back out once the weather gets nice again. We're praying about that, praying about getting back out into the community. Um, so uh, please pray. Pray that God would give us some clear direction as to um, not to do it, because we know we're going to do it, right? Because obviously that's what we're called to do. But um, if you remember the last time we did it, uh, we had um, it was really a cool system, and we really made sure that we got um, each part of the, you know, sections of the neighborhood, it worked out really well. So, you know, sharing the gospel. Paul preached the gospel. Uh, The Lord opened Lydia's heart. You know, she was saved by faith in the gospel and God's word. 
You know, she heard the word and received it. So let's, um, verse uh, 16 through 18. So it says in verse in these verses, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us, you know, and we've seen us a few times in these verses. That's um, Luke, who's writing uh, the book of Acts. He's with these guys now. And he cried out saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said, uh, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. You know, she was possessed with the spirit of divination. You know, God is, is starting to move in Philippi. And now, you know, the enemy is, um, is, you know, coming forward with resistance. And it always happens, right? Pastor Rob said it this morning when we were doing the baptism. You know, you, you're going to get baptized, but you know what? There's going to be some resistance now because, you know, you're, you're taking another, you know, you're taking that next step in your relationship with the Lord, and there's going to be resistance. And there, there always is. There always is. Satan always wants to hinder what God is doing. And, um, you know, uh, we, just can't, we just can't allow that. We can't allow that. So it seems like this, this girl is following these guys around, and she's, like, promoting them, right? What did it say she was saying? She was saying that these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. You know, why would that be a problem? You know, she's like their little PR person. They're walking around and she's, you know, announcing them. But it says in, um, in verse 18 that, you know, Paul, and, and, and you know, and, and from, you know, reading it, it says that as they went to prayer, so that, you know, this is, there's no synagogue yet, so they're going back and they're just going back to the river for prayer. So they're just doing this, you know, every day going for prayer. And um, now this, this girl um, is hanging out with them and she's going with them. And, you know, I, I was trying to think of what would be going through Paul's mind, you know, because he, I mean, he loves people. He knows what's going on with this woman. You know, and he, I'm, you know, is he trying to be patient? Is he asking the Lord to have her go away? Or, you know, so it just, you know, he gets annoyed. And he, you know, he turns and he says, not to the girl. It's interesting. He, he, said, he addresses the spirit. You know, because the girl, I mean, uh, she's like innocent. She's like an innocent victim, if you will. Right? So he's, he's addressing the problem, right? He's, you know, he's addressing the problem. And, you know, he rebukes her, the, the, the spirit, and in that hour the spirit comes out of her. Um, so there's a, one, one of the problems is taken care of, right? Um, but now it opens the door to another problem. This girl was, um, she was making big bucks for um, the magistrates and these, these people who she worked for, 
right? So fortune telling, um, according to verse 16, was very profitable, right? And now Paul, um, you know, rebukes this, this evil spirit and it comes out of this girl and now she's just this innocent kid. Uh, with she, she's no more used to them, and, and you know, think about that. Think of how the enemy just uses and abuses people, and then just kicks them to the curb when he has no further use. When he's no, they're no more a benefit. Um, you know, you think of the opioid crisis, and you know, all, you know, just just so many things that happen where. People just die senselessly, you know, and it's just the enemy, you know, and not that, you know, it's it's because of sin that death came into the world. I know that. But, you know, just our society, you know, it's 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 just it's sad that people just use people. And when they're not profitable anymore, then there's no more use for them. See you later. See you later. And, you know, that can never happen in the church. It should never happen in the church. Um, you know, I know that um, we've all met people that could be a little annoying, right? But, you know, God's called us to love them. And, I'll, you know, I, I, I could use some work in that area. I think we all can, right? Because, you know, sometimes people just kind of, you know, just kind of know just what nerve to put their finger on. And not even on purpose. It's just, it's just the way it is. But God has called us to love them. You know, Paul, I think with Paul, he didn't want, he didn't want, to, he didn't want, to, he didn't want anybody getting confused about what was going on. You know, he, um, what, the, what the girl was saying was, was true, but he didn't like the source, right? He didn't like the source, and he didn't want there to be any confusion in anybody's mind about what's happening here. You know, sure, she's, she's telling you the truth, but, um, you know, it's a whole different spirit. And, you know, I'm sure Paul just saw this as the enemy just trying to set these people up to let them down. So it doesn't say what happened to this girl, but I'm thinking that if Paul and Silas and Timothy and the team that they were with were still there, I'm sure they took care of her. I would think so. I would think that they would have prayed for her. She got saved. You know, that's how my mind works, you know. She gets delivered. She's with these men, you know, these evangelists. You know, I got to think that, you know, they took her under their wing. Now she wasn't annoying anymore. She was saved, you know. It's just... That's how my mind works when I'm, you know, try, when I'm reading the Bible. But So in verse 19, and we'll read through verse 24, it says, But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they don't even seize her. <laughs> they seize Paul, <clears throat> Paul and Silas, and it says they drag them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. 
They weren't teaching anything. They they weren't teaching anything. You know, and it's just so interesting to see how, I mean, it's, they're just setting Paul up. And this is going to happen to Paul, the rest of, I mean, all the way to Rome, right? The facts are always going to be skewed against him. And it's usually the way it is, right? The facts are usually skewed against the church. Like, because we, um, we believe the Bible and we believe um, the whole Bible, we believe, um, you know, in Genesis that, you know, that God gave us a picture of the family, a man and a woman. You know, you know the, the Bible is clear, but yet the church is portrayed as like being haters or insensitive to the way people think or feel. It's always going to be that way. It's always going to be that way. It doesn't make a difference. And it's interesting here because there's no reference here that Paul took a stand and spoke up against what they were saying. I really believe at this point he's just trusting the Lord. You know, they're just trusting the Lord. And, I, you know, we can, we can be called all kinds of things. <laughs> but, you know, we just trust the Lord because we trust his word. If somebody says that, you know, we're... Um, off the wall because we believe what the Bible teaches, what it clearly teaches, then that's okay. You know, they can say whatever they want. But just know in your heart that they don't have all the information. It's almost like you have to feel, part of you has to feel bad for them because they really don't know the truth. And you you just need to pray that somewhere along the line, God will bring somebody in their life that they'll listen to and get saved. Because that, that's the only, right, come and help us, the guy from Macedonia. That's what, that's what they need. So they bring them, they, they're saying that they're causing trouble in the city. They teach customs, which are not lawful for us. All Paul did was rebuke the spirit in this girl. He didn't teach anything to these guys. He was on his way to the river to pray. They, were, they weren't bothering anybody. But yet. Um, you know, they're going to skew the facts because they want these guys out of there, right? Put them in jail, do something with them, but get rid of them. So it says, then the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. So the magistrates didn't tear off their clothes. They tore off Paul and Silas's clothes to beat them, Right? And when they laid many stripes on them, they threw them in the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So these, you know, these aren't the stocks like you see like from the pilgrims where, you know, like your legs are in it and then you've got your hands in it like this and you just kind of sit there. I, I really believe on these stocks, their hands were, you know, they can move their hands, but their legs were take, they took their legs and spread them as far as they could and then a little bit more and then maybe a little bit more and then they just lock them right in place. So it's pretty excruciating you know, the way that they do this. And, you know, I was, we were talking about this last Tuesday morning, 
And it's just, this is amazing. Now, I've never been beaten with rods. I mean, I've been hit with a baseball bat once, you know, but never beaten with rods, never, you know, had my clothes ripped off and beaten by a bunch of men. I mean, th- I mean we, we read it, but I don't think we understand. That hurts. I mean, I mean, these are grown men beating Silas and Paul with sticks or with rods. I mean, it hurt. And here they are. They're in stocks in the, probably the deepest, raunchiest part of this prison. And we, were, we use this section of Scripture as an example of what James is saying, count it all joy when you face various trials. And, I mean, it's just, I, I think I jotted those verses down. It says, my brother, and this is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. It says, my brother, and count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And I I just love that progression, and I don't have time to, to go into that whole thing. But, you know, these guys were counting it all joy. Because here they are. Now you have to picture this. They're in this dungeon, in this prison, in the stocks, and I can picture Paul looking over at Silas and saying, hey, what was that worship song that we did last week? And Silas like, what? And Paul's saying, no, what was it? Oh, yeah, I remember it. And he starts singing the worship song, and God is in heaven tapping his foot. He's tapping his foot to the beat. It creates an earthquake on the earth. The prison doors all fly open. All the prisoners are, you know, their chains fall off their hands, and they're all, you know, God just does a miracle. He does a miracle. Why? Because these guys, they know they're in God's will. They know that God allows trials into their life for a reason. And they, don't, they might not understand what the reason is yet, but they're going to praise the Lord in the midst of it. And so they're, they're singing and they're praising the Lord. And, it, and it, you know, it's, and it says when you look at some of the translations, to the rest of the prisoners, it sounds like sweet music, just going through the prison. And it's just amazing. You know, I pray sometimes, you know, Lord, when I'm going through something, you know, get me out of this quick, Lord. Please, oh, just show me the answer. This is, you know, it hurts, you know. But here, here's, you know, Paul and Silas, they didn't, once did they say that this is unfair, don't put us in jail, don't, you know, not once. They were in these stocks and, you know, they could have had a pity party down there. They could have moaned and complained, but they didn't. They praised the Lord. They started praying. And, that, and what they did traveled through the whole prison. It got God motivated, right? Because there was an earthquake and the prison doors were swung open. So let's, um, let's read verses 25 through 34, and that might be about it. Uh, it says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. 
and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Now, I don't know, I don't think Paul and Silas thought that was going to happen. You know what? I don't think they did it hoping it happened. I think they were just praising the Lord. They were just praising God, you know, praying and just singing hymns to God. Um, I don't think they had any expectation other than they just wanted to worship God. And it says, and the prison, the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He was responsible for those prisoners. So, you know, he was going to take his own life because he was his life was going to be um, what what the price would be if these guys escaped. You know, and it really. Um, with that kind of mentality, it really got people into their jobs, right? I'm going to make sure these guys are staying in the jail because it's my life. And it's interesting. Paul doesn't, you know, Paul could just say, hey, later for that guy, you know, let's get out of here. You know, the Lord delivered us. You know, but Paul's, Paul's not, you know, he's, he's seen. And this goes back to the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. This goes back to him cultivating that relationship with the Lord, that even now, he's praising the Lord, the earthquake comes, all the doors are open, the chains are dropped off of people, and instead of thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm out of here, I really believe the Lord puts the jailer on his heart and tells him, hey, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. We're all here. You know, Paul is now taking control of the situation. God has set him free from those chains now to take control. And, you know, that's what happens. When God sets us free, when God is working in us, you know, and we're hearing from the Lord, you know, God is saying, hey, you can take control of that situation. You can, you know, you can have the upper hand here in a good way, of course, you know, but you can have the victory here. Just listen. Be sensitive. Try to, you know, get a handle on what I'm saying or how I say it. So it says in Paul, uh, with a loud voice, uh, do not um, do yourself no harm, <clears throat> for we are all here. Then he called for a light and ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? There it is. The whole purpose, you know, does God go through Sometimes what we would think is extremes to save people, yeah. I mean, think about it. If Paul would have just left, this would have never happened. You know, but God is, you know, Paul's already has this relationship with the Lord. He has, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's just a natural thing for Paul to, to want to minister to the lost. And it, I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture. And it's really challenging it's really challenging because sometimes, you know, our flesh gets in the way and we don't want to be bothered and we can think of a bunch of different reasons. I mean, I know if I was stuck in the worst part of the prison with my legs spread apart as far, you know, so the pain is excruciating and all of a sudden I was set free, it would be hard for me in my natural thinking to think of the jailer. But you know what? Paul never, it appears to be, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it implies it in the scripture that he was mad, that he was upset about being put in prison. Um, you know, and if you read 
through the epistles, you know, Paul considered it a privilege to be persecuted for Christ. So just it's really a, it's, it's challenging. So, you know, he went now the jailer wants to know what what do I have to do to get saved? You know, he's seeing Christianity eyeball to eyeball in Paul and Silas. He's seeing the reality of Christ in a believer. And you know what, guys? That's what people need to see in us. You want people to respond to the gospel when you share it? You know what? they got to see it in you. There's got to be something that they're seeing in you. And I believe that that's something that this, well, I'm sure that the earthquake didn't hurt, right? that you know, got this guy's attention too. But I think what got his attention just as much is that they didn't leave. They didn't, they didn't just leave him, right? When he was getting ready to kill himself, they cared enough about him to tell him, no, don't do it, don't do it, right? And then when he asked, you know, what can I do to be saved? Paul, and what did they say? Paul didn't say, you have to go get circumcised, you have to go get, no, Paul just said what? Verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, right? You and your household. And not that, obviously, we know the household wasn't saved because the dad got saved. They individually got saved eventually or right then and there. Um, who knows? So then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, this is the jailer, and washed their their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Wow. You know, it wouldn't, it's just, in 45 minutes, we um, just were able to look at something so powerful. I mean, I, I'm just blown away by just how precise God is. And, and you see it here. And I just, guys, you know, he, he wants to be like this in our lives. He wants us to, he wants us to see his hand and Every aspect of our day, I mean, we get up in the morning and, and you know, we just kind of get up and go and we start doing stuff. You know, lately, Mary and I, we've been praying, you know, Lord, we just, we just want to see your hand throughout the course of the day. You know, we want to see what you're doing. We want to be a part of what you're doing. And I really believe when we read the book of Acts, we see that. We see that in these folks' lives. And, you know, I would be discouraged if I thought it was something that was beyond my ability to attain. But you know what? This kind of a life, this kind of a relationship that Paul and Silas and these men and women had, I mean, this is available to us. And it's like I said when we started. It's there. You know, we just, we just have to be willing to do the work. We have to be willing to um, turn the TV off and just get alone with the Lord. Um, you know, we, um, there, you know, I mean, there's, I mean, I could spend the rest of the night just talking about different things that we can do, but you guys know what needs to happen in your life.
because we're all different. We all need to change in different ways. But I just want to encourage you. Um, you know, you, we'll finish the chapter um, the next time that, that I get to speak, but uh, please don't think that any of this is beyond you or your relationship with the Lord. Because God wants to use you to deliver people from bondage. God wants to use you to pray for people that are sick. God wants to use you to speak the gospel to people that aren't saved. God wants you to be um, the best employee you can be. God wants you to be the best husband, the best wife, the best daughter, the best son. You know, it's all available. We just got to make the investment. We have to, and what we have to invest is our time, is our time with the Lord. I mean, I'm not going to keep, I, I mean, I could just keep repeating myself, but I don't think it would do any good. But I just, I hope you guys see that. And when you read through the book of Acts, look for that. Because it's just, it's amazing how, how Paul can go from, oh, we can't go left, we can't go right, we go to Troas, and then, okay, Lord, what are we going to do? And then he has a vision that night. Oh, what a coincidence. He has a vision. Then he ends up in Philippi. He ends up sharing there in Philippi. Lydia gets saved. I mean, and you, just, you just see it. It's just, just, these guys are just living out their relationship with the Lord. Okay, God, what do you want us to do next? You know, if we could just be a little patient, we would find out what God wants to do next. But if I think Rob said it this morning, if we, we don't seem to, you know, we don't, we don't wait. We're not patient. We're not waiting on God. You know, Paul could have got to Troas and said, hey, you know what? We haven't heard from God. We're going to do something different. No, they got there. They got settled in and they prayed. All right, Lord, here we are. What's next? And they have, and God gives them a vision. This is what I want you to do. So, um, it's, it's just amazing to see God's hand so intricate in these men's lives. And I'm just, I guess the message is it can, it can be that way for us. And I, maybe I'll go out on a limb and say it should be that way for us. Right? At least to some extent. At least to some extent. All right, let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for... Um, tonight and for being a part of uh, the study tonight, Lord. And God, you know, we, I really believe in my heart, everybody in this room uh, tonight loves you and wants, um, wants to serve you and um, wants the Lord be used by you in um, just uh, powerful ways, God. We want, um, we want our relationship with you to grow. God, we want our relationship with you to be more intimate. Lord, and, and we do, God. We, we want to see your hand in, in our day, throughout the day. You know, God, you wouldn't have told us that you'd never leave us or forsake us and that, you know, that we can walk in the Spirit, uh, Lord, and we can keep in step with you. We can keep in step with the Spirit if it wasn't available. So, Lord, I pray that we would um, evaluate um, our, our schedules, um, our, the time that we do have, and, um, Lord, that um, you would help us to manage it better. Lord, that you would help us manage it in a way that brings us um, and allows us to have more um, alone time or intimate time with you, time in your word, and really, Lord, just time to worship you and hear uh, from you. 
And Lord, when um, all that is said and done, that we would be doers of the word and not a hearer only. Uh, God, thank you for giving us Traveling Mercies home tonight. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your active hand and the rest of our evening. And God, we, uh, we just want to thank you and praise you for who you are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.